Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Celtics Collective Podcast, brought to you by Heavy on Sports. I'm your host, Adam Taylor, and as usual, I'm joined by our resident NBA insider, Mr. Sean Devaney. How's it going, Sean? I'm doing well, Adam. How are you? I'm good, man. I've got to ask, how does it feel being introduced as the resident NBA insider? Like, Does that make you feel good? <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. You know, I've been called a lot worse, that's for sure. So uh, uh, I like I, I, I can go with that title for sure. Uh, you know, insider is such a, a, a funny title because it gets thrown around so much. Uh, it it kind of loses all meaning, but, uh, but I'll take it. Well, if we go with incredibly well-connected NBA <laughs> resource, Sean Devaney, would that, would that be better for you? Well, that's, that's, that, that might be a little uh, uh, exaggeration on your part. <laughs> I, again, I'll take it. I'll take it. But, uh, you know, veteran, I guess, is, is like the nice way of saying that I'm, I'm getting kind of old. So if you want to say veteran uh, NBA writer, that, that works for me. Technically challenged. <laughs> That's how you say old <laughs> these days. Exactly. Right, right, everybody. Before we get into the episode, let me just give you all the rundown of what to expect. So at the time of recording, the news has pretty much just broke, maybe like an hour, two hours before we record, uh, surrounding Ime Odoka and potentially him joining the Brooklyn Nets. I pretty much believe that it's a formality at this point. There's just some due diligence that needs to be done. And I say that with very big air quotes because the diligence has been done in public for the past few months. <laughs> so we're going to start there. Then we're going to move over and look at whether the Celtics problems, again, air quotes, are being a little bit overblown. We'll do a little bit of a stat dive. We'll talk about their defense, their rebounding pro- problems. And then we'll look at how the offense is ticking and some of the good points from there because that's pretty much been the season, right? It's been good offense, bad defense. It hasn't really been vice versa. And then we're going to play a game of B. Brad Stevens, where we'll look at a couple of the more existential issues surrounding the Celtics, contracts, player injuries, blah, blah, blah. Take Put on that Brad Stevens hat for, the, for a few minutes and try and figure out how we would best approach those different issues. And, whether, and then we can have that little bit of a disagreement because me and Sean view things completely differently most of the time, which is what makes this so fun. So let's just jump into it, man. Everybody knows what to expect at this point. We've got our veteran NBA well-connected guy sitting next to us. We're going to have to find him a new title. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What's your initial reaction, Sean, to the Imeo Dokunus? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a bit of a surprise. Obviously, he had been in Brooklyn uh, for a season uh, before, and if they hadn't hired Steve Nash, then there was a feeling that that, that they wanted to hire uh, Ime Adoka when they brought Nash on uh, and you know they, they they sort of regretted not doing that at the time so um, you know not surprised in the fact that, uh, that 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 the Nets wanted him and that they would go after him you know because they they, they really wanted him uh, like I say for for a while now so that that part of it isn't a surprise but you know this is a team that has had one major controversy, one disaster after another, uh, whether it's the Kevin Durant uh, uh, trade request, the inability to give a contract for uh, for Kyrie Irving, the inability to trade Kyrie Irving when they were thinking about doing that, uh, and, and, and all that stuff. And then you have uh, the stuff with, with Kyrie Irving uh, uh, backing a, uh, an anti-Semitic movie uh, online. 
you know, so you've got all this stuff. It's just one thing after the other with the Nets right now. Uh, and you're going to go and, and, and pour gas on the fire by bringing in uh, Ime Adoka, who's, you know, got a lot of questions to answer, um, you know, and, and, and we'll see how, how he handles that when he does meet the media. Uh, you know, the New York media is going to hound him about this stuff. And, uh, and that's something he's going to have to deal with. So uh, it's, it's, it, it's a surprise in that I think a lot of GMs thought that Ime Adoka would be back in the league but that he would have to sit out for the whole year. We'd have to take that suspension. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and it's a surprise that, that, that he could be back as quickly uh, as, as it looks like he will be. So that's my biggest gripe, right? It's more of a, what type of message this sends to younger fans? What type of message it sends back, like outside a, a like circumventing the sports world and actually going into like a real life scenario. Like I get it. Udoka was never suspended by the league. He was free to coach anywhere, and this was a organizational disciplinary action that this suspension was levied. And that's completely fine. Like I understand that. But what my argument is, a team like the Celtics, who are in the hunt for a championship, are not going to suspend a championship-caliber head coach, which Udoka proved himself to be during that first year, without just cause. There needs to be probable, reasonable cause <clears throat> excuse me, in order for Boston to be willing to levy that level of punishment, to now try and have that circumvented simply by allowing Udoka to move to another team, that to me has like questionable morals in place, not for Boston, but for just the league as a whole. In some, at some point, there, needed to, there should be some form of league-wide intervention like hey we get it we haven't implemented this like suspension but maybe we need to enforce a few months of it before we allow it because we understand that boston wouldn't shoot themselves in the foot so to speak just because they were a little bit annoyed like this had to have been an egregious issue whatever it was and i'm not going to speculate on anything that actually happened because quite frankly i don't know um, and I think it would be disingenuous otherwise. So I think that's been my initial reaction. Just like, hey, if he's been suspended for the year, for a, and as you said, for a team like Brooklyn that's going from controversy to controversy to failing after failing, bringing in a coach and kind of, again, using that word, circumventing that suspension is just opening you up to more controversy, more bright lights. And look, hey, if, it, if he doesn't, for Udoka, if he doesn't turn that ship around... All of the goodwill he built around the league as this young, excellent head coach is going to dissipate instantly because of the level of talent he's got there. But on the flip side, if he does manage to turn the Nets into a genuine contender, there's going to be a lot of angry Celtics fans wondering yeah. what happened and why we don't know the full story. It's, it's going to be right. a really messy situation. Yeah, right. And it's if he is successful in Brooklyn... Uh, you're right that that it'll be uh, some egg on the face of the Celtics, uh, and there will be a lot of people saying, uh, you know, why is it that that he was uh, whatever he did, it was okay for Brooklyn, it was uh, it was too much for us though. Uh, you know, that's that's going to raise some questions, and there's also this question of compensation, right? That 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 the Celtics haven't sought compensation uh, to uh, he, he's still technically employed by the Celtics, uh, and and they could seek compensation from the Nets. Uh, they've said they're not going to, uh, and and that's that's a bit of a head scratcher, you know that, uh, uh, that 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 they're not going to at least get a second round pick out of this, um, you know that's something that's traditionally happened uh, in this sort of situation. I think back to when Doc Rivers went to the Clippers, you know the Clippers had to give the Celtics that was actually a first round pick, uh, 
um, Duck Rivers was still under contract at that time. So, uh, so yeah, they had to give up a first round pick. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and this time around the Celtics are, are just, I, I suppose they just want to be, uh, rid of, of, of MA of just wash their hands of him. Uh, but I think that could, that, that could be a bad look if he goes to Brooklyn, uh, and has some success there. It's a bad look for Boston. If he succeeds, it's a bad look for Brooklyn regardless. Yeah. Right. So I think that for me, I've definitely taken that not asking for compensation as a, Hey, we're done with him. If you want him, he's your problem. You know, we we don't want any more to do with him. I never believed. uh, I've been of the belief for a while now that Udoka wasn't coming back to coach the Celtics. You know, his whole shtick as a coach is accountability and discipline. And he quite publicly fell from grace in both of those areas over the last few months. I don't know how you then resume a role where you're trying to build that type of mentality when you quite clearly didn't hold yourself accountable to that level. So I've been expecting them to fire him at some point this year. Maybe I felt like it would be later in the year once a lot of the co- the big tone teams have, you know, cemented their coaching staffs and stuff. But at the same time, I'm kind of looking at it from in a way as maybe this gives Joe Mazzula a bit more juice in that locker room because logic dictates that that interim tag will be removed sooner rather than later from Joe Missoula. And that just gives you that bit of extra juice in the locker room of being head coach, not interim head coach. Like, you know, the way we, when we're writing articles over at heavy, you know, whenever I reference Missoula, it's interim head coach, Missoula players are going to feel that same way. Like, Hey, you're only here for the year. The buy-in might not be as, like legitimate as what it could be the Celtics juice him by giving him that full-time deal. Uh, and it just removes a bit of a dark cloud like, because it, as much as we haven't really spoke about Udoka over the last few weeks since the start of the season, it's always been a question in the back of our minds, right? Like, Hey, the Celtics lose two straight games. What would have happened if Udoka was here? Right, right, right. And I you think know. you're right. You make a good point about about the players. Uh, and that's something that I've heard uh, as well, that, that, you know, players, there's some frustration on the player's part, uh, not knowing what what's going to happen, not knowing what's next. Um, you know, they they uh, obviously there's legal reasons that they can't get into too much in terms of uh, what happened with MA. Uh, but you know, just as we're all sort of in the dark and and and, and chasing uh, uh, rumors, you know, players don't know a hundred percent. You know, obviously they know more than we do, uh, but they don't a hundred percent know what's going on here either. And 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 there's definitely been some frustration. Um, you know, is MA going to come back? Is it is it going to be Joe Missoula from here on in? Uh, this 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 should at least give players some clarity, especially if they uh, uh, if they remove that interim tag, like you say, uh, which uh, which I think they will. Honestly, I don't see why they wouldn't. Like, yeah. you've committed to Missoula t- to be that interim head guy. You're basically the way I looked at it at, t- at the time was you're basically giving Missoula a one year audition. Right. You're saying, hey, if we can be successful under you then when we do eventually bring that hammer down on Udoka, we're going to run with you anyway. So all it's going to be now is, have we seen enough from you during training camp, during preseason, over the first few weeks? Have we seen enough from you? Are the players responding well to you? How do Jalen and Jason feel about you now that you're in a big, larger role of authority? And if all of those answers are, we feel quite good and we're confident you're that guy, 
then that all they're going to do is shorten that audition and just give him that starring role in terms yeah. of like you know we're keeping with that thespian analogy <laughs> but yeah and you're right that i mean they have they still have the option uh, you know, even if, if Missoula is not technically an interim, you know, if they remove that, they still have the option of of, of moving on from him in the summer. If, if that's what they decide they want to do, um, you know, if it's a guy like Quinn Snyder or somebody like that, uh, you know, whoever the big name is out there, you'd have to think the Celtics would uh, would be in pretty good position uh, to bring in uh, uh, whoever the top coach is out there right now. I'd probably say it's Quinn Snyder, but uh, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're, they're still going to have that option uh, next summer, whether whether Missoula is technically in an interim or not. The one thing I'll say there is we are seeing a bit of a changing of the guard in terms of coaching. A lot of the older coaches are slowly starting to be phased out. We're getting more inventive coaches like Will Hard is really doing well over in Utah at the moment. Uh, I think we said this last time, he might be the first head coach fired for being successful. Um, Danny Ainge is not going to be pleased. Uh, Udoka was another young coach that's done well. You've got Willie Green over in New Orleans that's doing well. Some very young coaches being uh, innovative coaches that are getting their chances at the minute and deserve their flowers. So Stevens might want to continue with that trend, especially if Missoula continues to like fire up this offense, right? Like this offense has been fantastic. Um, So I'm definitely confident that he'll have more than this season as long as it's not a first-round exit for the Celtics. Obviously, if yeah. they fall flat in the playoffs, well, now something drastic needs to change. Yeah, yeah. And, and like you say, if he if it's clear he loses the locker room, you know, that that that, that happens with coaches. But if it's clear that that's the kind of thing that's happening, uh, then, yeah, then you'd have to make a change. And to be honest, I feel like Udoka was more of a risk of losing the locker room in a year or two than what Missoula is just because of the hard line that Udoka coached. He always seemed to me like he was going to be a two to three year coach. And then he'd start grating on you just because yeah. of that, like uh, the mentality that he coached with. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where he was able, it, he was what they needed last year. You oh, know, for sure. Off of Brad, there's no question, but that does grate on you and it grinds on you. Uh, and there are definitely coaches that are like that who can help you get things turned around. But after a couple of years, you know, I think Steve Clifford is a good example of, of a guy who uh, uh, is, a, is a really good coach and, and, and can help bring some order, get you to play better defense uh, uh, and, and, and improve you in the short term. But in the long term, players just uh, uh, they get tired of it. And, and, and we've seen coaches like that over the years. And I agree. That's 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 the kind of coach that uh, uh, that that he may probably would have been for this team unless he had lightened up uh, as he gone on. Which it didn't seem likely. No, right. It didn't seem likely. <laughs> Whereas Joe Mazzula, he's laughing. He seems quite jovial. He's young. So he's relatable to these guys. And you know, he played some point guard. He's played some college ball. He does have a bit of a pedigree. Obviously not NBA like Udoka, but he definitely still, he isn't a guy that learned how to play basketball on a clipboard. Do you know right. what I mean? Like there's a right. big difference. Yeah. So while we're saying that and we're talking about the things that Missoula can do good and can and isn't doing so good at, at the moment, there have been some problems. Rebounding has been a huge issue. I think anybody that says it hasn't clearly doesn't understand that when you grab the ball off the backboard, that's called a rebound and the Celtics aren't grabbing the ball off the backboard often enough. Um, They're allowing other people to grab the ball off the backboard. That's bad. Uh, (laughs) So rebounding has been an issue. And then defense as well. But I've got my thoughts on defense. 
So we'll talk about the issues first. We'll start with the bad so we can end with the good, and that will allow us to flow into the Brad Stevens game, which is sure. always a great exercise. Always. So I know you've pulled some statistics, and we'll start there. We'll start with the numbers, then we'll talk the eye test. Shoot the numbers off, Sean. Oh, I've got the numbers here. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you. Uh, yeah, all right. So their defensive rating right now is uh, uh, 114.5. That is 22nd uh, in the league. Now, last year, uh, of course, they were number one in the league. So, you know, to go from number one to number 22, obviously, uh, we're talking about six games. Uh, that's not that's not great. Uh, you know, much improved against Washington. Uh, that might have been more of a, fat, uh, a function of Washington than it was of the Celtics defense. But still, you know, they held Washington 38 uh, percent shooting. So uh, so that's a step in the right direction. Uh, you know, I think one of the big questions is, is this all Rob Williams? Uh, to me, the answer is no. You know, that that obviously he helps and, and what he does defensively is huge for them. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, they that they were able to hold the fort down when when Williams wasn't playing uh, last year. And, and and you know, he obviously set out uh, quite a bit. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's as simple as Rob Williams. I think there is, uh, um, you know, maybe some some uh, finals hangover, you know, that that, that the intensity isn't there, um, you know, just because uh, th- there's a little fatigue left over from last year. Um, but but it, de- it definitely doesn't seem like they are defending the same way. Um, you know, they're they're not switching. Uh, I mean, last year they switched every single day. I mean, they just constantly switched. Um, and it took them a little while to get the hang of it. But once they did, obviously, we saw the results. Uh, they don't seem to be doing that uh, as much and, and, and with, with as much conviction uh, as they did last year. That's, that's probably the big problem that I see, Adam. Yeah, so the first thing they're doing is they're running a ton more drop defense, right? Yeah. And that's all well and good when you have a legitimate rim protector in that drop who can close the And what I say by legitimate rim protector is somebody with size that can explode and block shots. What also means is it's a shot deterrent. It makes guys really question whether or not venturing into the paint is the right option. The, uh, the flip side of that is when you do have a legit shot, uh, shot rim protector and shot blocker, they can close space quite quickly. So if a player does decide to pull up in the mid-range, you can still get a, sh- a contested shot. Whereas at the minute, it's guys like Noah Varnley playing drop. And I have been very underwhelmed with Noah Varnley. Following, I think he'd done well in the first two games. I think since then, he's shown why he was in China, to be fair. I, I'm not saying he's terrible. He's probably one of the better screeners on the team. Is quite physical, plays with some effort. So I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying I've been underwhelmed with him on defense specifically. I think that teams started dragging him out to the perimeter more, started attacking him off the dribble. That really opened him up to being the target. When you look at him being absorbing most of the minutes as that backup five, you can see why there was a few cracks in the defense. Switching-wise, the Celtics were doing a lot of pre-switching. I like to call it soft switching, where you switch before an action actually takes place. It's really easy to counter that with slips and back cuts and secondary screens. What we saw against the Wizards, though, was Luke Cornett comes in. He's a little bit more mobile. He's got a bit more size to him. They start switching one through five a little bit more. They kind of abandon the drop defense completely. It's like a quasi-drop, right? Like You're switching Luke Cornett onto guys, but he's still a step or two away from them. Right, so, right. But he, so he's in a drop, but he's not in a drop. And now you're switching, you're switching on contact. You've you've moved away from that soft switching, that pre-switching, 
and gone to, hey, we switch on contacts, we switch on ghost screens where there is no contact, but we're going to verbalize more. And all of a sudden, the defense looks 100 times better. Yeah. And I like that Luke Cornett jump. You know what he's doing at the minute where he's jumping at shots? He's just going straight up vertically. I'm like, dude, if you remember back in the NBA bubble, and you'll be able to attest to this, Sean, back in the NBA bubble, a lot of shooters in the NBA were moaning that their reference points, their line of sights were completely off because the, the backboard was a bit lower or it was a bit higher. And they just couldn't figure out the distancing because the, the things they're using in an NBA gym to reference their distance just weren't available, right? Right. Right. I think Luke Cornett jumping that way, if you think he's seven foot, when he jumps straight vertically, he's probably a 12-foot beam pole at that point, covering the rim. Your line of sight's off, and now your shot's kind of... It's it's a bit janky, right? Because you don't have your reference points. You're trying to shoot over something that's already declining back down. Um, so I think Luke Cornett really helped the defense. I think he's going to be what helps them move up. I don't want them number one. I've said this before. I want some balance. Top 10, top 8, if they can get there by mid-December, I'm going to be very comfortable with this yeah. team's outlook. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's definitely a work in progress on the defensive end. And, um, yeah, and, and, and Cornette has been uh, an improvement. You know, those 15 minutes that, that, that he plays – uh, it can be an adventure offensively. He does not have great hands. You might have noticed, but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, defensively, just having his size out there uh, makes such a big difference. So uh, uh, you know, that might be an adjustment that 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 helps him out. You know, especially uh, with with the front court being as thin as it is. Uh, that's that that's something that should uh, uh, I think will help them in the long run here. I've got him listed as a seven foot Daniel Tice. Right. So he's not going to do anything excellent. He's going to do everything by the book, like technically sound. He's going to give you a little bit of everything, but you can outmuscle him. Right. I don't feel confident having a Luke Cornett go up against an Andre Drummond. Like Drummond's just going to eat you for breakfast. Yeah. 10 right. times out of 10. But against more five out offenses, like guys where they're running their bigs on the perimeter, yeah, Luke Cornett's going to be fine. I'm yeah. not too Agreed. stressed. Right. Agreed. Um, now we can move to offense a little bit. What I will say just on defense as well is, and Missoula said this in a recent press conference, the Celtics are first in forcing teams to take mid-range jumpers. and But teams are, I think they're like seven, 17th in how successful teams are of shooting those mid-range. So they're getting, they're forcing teams into the most analytically unfavorable shot and teams aren't hitting them. So we're doing something right there. We're running guys off the perimeter. We're stopping them getting them to the rim. And then we're saying, right, you're going to have to hit us from the mid-range. So it's a tough shot for two points. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they've got cooked. I mean, it doesn't help when you come up against DeMar DeRozan in one game and then Donovan Mitchell in the next. And all of a sudden, you've got two elite mid-range dudes. And you're like, well, this isn't working. Well, it is, but you've just come up against two elite mid-range right, dudes. Right, you right. Know, so you can make those shots, right, right. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you've got to live with that, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, right. And then I have my thoughts. I have some X's and O's thoughts on Cleveland, but we can save them for another day. Um, <laughs> because I could talk, I could, honestly, I'm really impressed with what Cleveland are doing at the moment. Um, moving on to offense, I've been loving the offense. How have you been feeling about it, Sean? Yeah, uh, you know, there's, it's, uh, it's definitely... Uh, more open, you know, they seem to be moving the ball, you know, it still, still does that thing where it sticks sometimes. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, late in that Cleveland game, we saw some of that. 
um, you know, where where uh, one guy, usually Jalen or Jason, tries to win the game for you, uh, and and you wind up with some bad shots. Um, I remember, you know, Marcus Smart had a three there. It reminded me of the uh, the Miami game where he missed uh, in the playoffs last year. He missed three down the stretch. Uh, he had a wide open three that uh, uh, that, that that would have been. Uh, uh, would have helped them uh, win that game. But, uh, but yeah, you know, in general, the, the offense, you really, there's nothing to complain about. I mean, they've, they've been moving the ball. Jason Tatum has been off the charts. He is right now at 50, 40, 90 uh, in terms of shooting percentage and, and uh, three points and, uh, and, and his free throws. So, I mean, he's as efficient as can be right now. And, and, and that's, uh, uh, that's, 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 you know, obviously that's great. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon uh, has been really, really good. Um, and of course, Jalen Brown's been fantastic as well. Um, you know, he's been very efficient too. So, uh, you know, if your two superstars are playing at that level uh, and everybody else is chipping in with their roles on the offensive end, uh, then, then you're going to have, uh, you're going to have some pretty big nights and, and, and they've certainly done that so far. I don't know if you agree with this, but this has kind of been my mantra for the last two years. There's a difference be- between playing with each other and playing off of each other. When Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown play with each other, one of them has a good night, one of them struggles. When they play off of each other, that's when they both have big nights. And what we've seen to start this season is the increased pace, the the freedom that they're being allowed on offense. They're finding ways to play with each other a lot, no, off each other a lot more frequently rather than with each other. I don't know if you agree with that or if that makes sense, but that's kind of been my mantra. So I've been quite pleased over the first six games. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think you know Brogdon does have something to do with that uh, as well. I think uh, you know having a guy who moves the ball the way he does. Um, you know, I think that that's been uh, uh, that's been good for everybody. You know, just having the you know a veteran presence, obviously, and a guy who uh, who can come in and 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 get the ball to the right place. Um, that that kind of sets a tone, and it seems like the uh, the team as a whole has bought into that. Uh, and 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 as long as that continues, I think that uh, uh, that this will continue to be obviously a very entertaining team to watch, uh, but also uh, you know just really successful in the offensive end. And I've got some numbers for you I want to throw at you. So I've been looking at drive statistics because the Celtics mm-hmm. have been driving the ball a lot. And you know me, I'm very big on the, hey, drive the ball, throw some screens, let's have a good time and so I can break down the film. Yeah. Uh, the Celtics are ninth in drives per game, 50.3 drives. They're fourth in field goal percentage off of drives. So I've, let me pull up the field goal again. I did have it in front of me. Sorry. So they're hitting 53.5% of their field goal attempts while coming off the drive. Now that can be at the rim. It can be a floater. It can be drive, step back and pull up. It doesn't break it down into shot profile, but that's a very good area for you to be sitting at right now is, hey, we're top four in drives and top, top four in um, field goal percentage off of drives, top 10 in drives. Another aspect that I really liked is that they're fifth in passes out of drives. So drive and kick. There's only four other teams in the NBA that are driving and kicking the ball more than the Celtics. And those are the Thunder, the Kings, the Pacers, and the Knicks. Well, they don't really have a choice but to drive and kick because they don't, none of them, other than the Pacers with Halliburton, none of them really have anybody that's going to beat you off the dribble and penetration. So drive and kick for those guys makes perfect sense. Just to, Just for reference, the, four, the, the five teams below them are the Utah Jazz, the Pistons, the Hornets, the Rockets, 
and then we can even put the Lakers in there as well. So only two teams out of outside of the Celtics have someone that can really do damage off the dribble, and that's Charlotte with Lamelo, and that's Indiana with Halliburton, right? So the Celtics are definitely emphasizing penetrating and kicking, and then what we're seeing there, which just doesn't track, is the second pass after that drive and kick, which has been exceptional. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know I think uh, Jason Tatum, if you look at him. Uh, he especially has been driving more to the basket, uh, really more than any other time in his career except his rookie year. If you look at the number of shots he takes at the rim right now, he's at about 27% uh, that, that are within three feet. So, um, you know, that's it was 22% last year, 19% the year before that. So, so he is taking a lot of shots. Uh, around the rim he's also finishing I mean you know he's, he's clearly stronger uh, he's clearly taking contact more uh, he is at 77.4 percent uh, on those on those drives so he's driving and he is finishing uh, very very efficiently so um, you know that's that's been a real uh, a real key is that you know when your best player is doing that uh, like I said, two years ago, he wasn't, you know, it just wasn't, you know, it was, uh, uh, he, he was not taking the ball to the rim nearly enough. Uh, but I think that, that, you know, adding some muscle, uh, getting a little bit stronger, getting more comfortable with, uh, with taking contact and still finishing, uh, that's made such a big difference for Jason. And uh, that's one of the reasons why his shooting percentage is up, uh, you know, well over 50%. First of all, I love Jason Taylor. I want to you be do. his best friend. I know that. I'm um, I use cleaning the glass for a lot of my shot profile stuff, um, which has a built-in garbage time filter. When you're talking about a superstar, that doesn't matter because if it's garbage time, they're not there. According, so this is pretty much legit now. So for cleaning the glass, in six games, Tatum has took 127 shot attempts at the rim. And they quantify the rim is within four feet of the rim. 127, scored 37 of them, drew six shooting fouls. That's 34% of his entire offense. Yeah. yeah, and you like you said, it's only below his rookie year, right? Then what we've seen is we're we're at his lowest percent, and it's only six games in, so these are really small sample sizes that are definitely going to fluctuate throughout the year. So just to put that out there for anyone before you come for our next game, we're six games in, but at the moment, he's at his lowest ever mid range attempt totals, right? So only 26% of his offense is coming from the mid range, which means he's really buying into the analytics. And Joe Mazzula said, Hey, I'm a math guy. I like math. So you can expect that type of Mike D'Antoni, Houston Rockets, James Harden ball, where it's layups and freeze, right? 40% of his shots are coming from free. The most of his career so far, we're definitely leaning into that Mike D'Antoni, um, type of offense where it's hey freeze and layups freeze and layups and this seems like a team that's perfectly built to execute that type of that type of game plan yeah and 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 you know tatum right now is averaging the most uh free throws uh of his career you know 6.8 per game so uh yeah and, and that's 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 one of the offshoots of that as well is is uh you're getting you're going to get to the free throw line uh, you know, more than uh, uh, more in the Celtics right now are the best free throw shooting team in the league. So, you know, the more that they can get to the line, the better. Uh, but yeah, they've, uh, uh, they've, they've certainly made that part of their, uh, part of their attack as well is, is, you know, let's figure out how to draw some fouls, get to get to the free throw line. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, at 85% right now that uh, they're as good as they come when it comes to shooting those free throws. Which means that Jalen Brown's taking the leap shooting free throws. 
or he's not shooting free throws. It's one of the two. Because if Jalen Brown was shooting free throws like he was shooting free throws last year, Boston would not be number one. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> he's at eighty percent, so he's uh, he's he's been much improved. That's for sure. That's a that's a jump. That's a yeah. jump jump. All right, then. So it's time for our game, our B. Brad Stevens game. Thomas Darrow, that's who's good. our uh, editor, he edits the audio six in the background while we're recording. Thomas needs to figure out an intro for this, like whether it's a music thing or whether we play a little clip, but we definitely need to, to right, monopolize right. this so we can uh, send it to Brad Stevens and show him what a good job we do. <laughs> so we've got three questions on the docket today. Number one, and we'll both give our opinion, but Sean, you'll be the first to answer because uh, you're the veteran in the room. Right. So Danilo Gallinari, basically what I'm going to ask is, do you want to use him as a trade chip? Do you want to hold him until you know, we know he's going to opt into that player option, right? He's not going to opt out of that player option or at least common consensus is he opts in. So, which means he's available next season. So do you want to trade him? Do you want to use him as a trade chip? Do you want to hold on to him and hope that you can get something out of him in the playoffs? Or do you believe he's the guy that can give you something next season? Which one of those three would you want to do and why? Yeah, you know, I mean, he's got he's got a six point five million dollars salary, which is 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 not bad, you know. Especially if you were to package him with with Peyton Pritchard, you'd get up around eight and a half million. You could probably bring in a, a guy who makes you know ten or eleven million when you get into you know how the salaries match and all that stuff. So, um, you know, that's a guy who you could trade uh, and 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 bring something back that can help you. Um, you know, for, for a guy who really is 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 not going to give you anything this year. I'd be surprised if Gallinari does play this year. Uh, I know there's been some excitement because he's been shooting and uh, and, you know, possibly he'll be back for the playoffs, all that kind of stuff. I don't I don't buy that. I mean, this guy's had some some rough times with that knee. Uh, in Denver, uh, when he had uh, uh, his uh, original knee injury, that did not go well. It took him forever to come back. He needed a second surgery. He's going to be careful with this, and he should. Uh, so I, I don't think we'll see him again. Um, you know, and 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 he would have to opt in the next year in order to make a trade possible. Uh, so that might be something that he would he would reject. But if I'm the Celtics, I'm not doing it uh, because look, he signed with the Celtics. He had always wanted to play for the Celtics. He finally signs. He gets there, uh, and if then you turn around and ship him out, I just think it's it's it, it's not a good look for the franchise. It, it really makes the franchise look bad. Uh, the Celtics still have a reputation uh, among uh, uh, you know agents and players and such. Uh, for the, going back to the Isaiah Thomas thing, when when they traded away Isaiah Thomas rather than paying him, uh, when he played through his hip injury and all that stuff, they still are carrying some some bruises for that uh, around the league. And uh, I just don't think whatever you're going to get for Gallinari, I just don't think it's worth it, um, you know, at this point. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I wind up keeping him. Look, if you package him with Derek White, you know, now you're talking about you could get a guy in the in the $24 million range. Uh, you know, you could get a legitimate star. You know, maybe that's a different conversation. Uh, but uh, uh, at this point, I, I, I just can't see uh, any real benefit in, in, in trading away Gallinari. We agree completely because this has been my point on it too. I'm very big on optics at the moment. I think that, as you said, Brad Stevens has come into the Celtics. He's made the moves he needed to make. He was quite ruthless at the beginning. He's constructed a team in his image. The last thing he's going to want to do is start 
throwing roadblocks in his own way. And moving on from Gallinari, who's come to the team, sustained an injury, never never bounced a ball in a Celtics jersey. Moving on from him so soon, you are throwing a roadblock in your own way. Uh, I just don't think Brad Stevens is the type of guy to do that unless it's a literal no-brainer. Like, everybody around the league could look at it and be like, no, we would have done that too. And even the players be like, yeah, this isn't great, but we completely understand why that's happened. I think if it was one of those surefire wins, then Steve, then Brad had pulled the trigger on that deal and you could, you, no one would have any bad feelings. But those type of deals are once every 30 years, right? It's very right. rare. It's a complete win. So I just don't see it happening. I think we see Gallinari play out sometime in the Celtics next season. And if he doesn't look up to scratch, maybe he's lost a bit more of a step, then he's a trade chip around that February trade deadline. But you did good by him, by giving him the opportunity to recover with your team and then to try and earn minutes with your team before moving him. And then I think that's quite an acceptable way to go about things. Uh, so that would be February Fe February 2024. So it's a ways away yet. Yeah, right, uh, right. Next one, we've got Mr. Sean Devaney, hashtag Brad Stevens, be Brad Stevens. The Celtics in their TPE, now you're the one that kind of released this. This is why you're the insider. You said, like, you know, I don't know if it was you or Ball Pet, actually. It, might it, was, me. Ball it Pet. was me. It was you. Yeah. That you've heard some rumblings that the Celtics are already doing their due diligence on potential TPE trade targets, whether that be to make a move now or maybe closer to the February trade deadline. If you're Stevens, do you use the TP considering the fact it's going to run you almost 20 million luxury tax? Yeah, if you if you want to bring in a guy who's who's making five million bucks, if you want to bring in you know Justin Holiday or somebody, it's going to cost the owners uh, 20 million bucks. I think you do it. You know, I think that if I'm Brad, then I'm 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 in Rick Grosbeck's ear saying, look, if if we if we have this asset. Uh, there's no point in letting it expire without doing something with it. I know it's going to cost money, but look, you know, w what did the Warriors pay in their payroll last year? Uh, and that made all the difference in the end, you know, the Warriors won the championship because they spent a lot of money last year. Um, and, and, you know, obviously they've got talented players and good coach, all that stuff, but you know, you've got to be able to, uh, to spend the money when you have the opportunity, when that championship window is open, you don't want to leave any, any opportunity, uh, behind. So if they have the opportunity to get, um, you know, whether it's another big guy, um, I, and, and from what I'm hearing they're they're thinking more, uh, more along the lines of, of, of adding a wing, if they were to do it. Um, not a big guy, but, uh, uh, but if they did decide, uh, you know, they're, they're not sure about Robert Williams and maybe they want to get another big guy. Uh, if it's a wing like a, like a Justin holiday or whoever it might be, um, you know, you, you, you've got to go to the owner and you've got to say, listen, we cannot let this pass without at least seeing, uh, you know, if we can get something done here. Uh, you know, the big question is, would they want to give up a, a first round pick? We've seen that, uh, that, that Brad has, has, has been, perfectly willing to do that. Um, you know, but I, I know he also wants to make some picks along the way here too. He doesn't want to trade away all of them. Uh, so, so, you know, that's going to be one of the big questions as well, but you, you know, really right now, I just think that, that you are in a championship window and you have to do everything you can uh, to make sure you maximize that. Give me all the draft picks. Find a way to take on somebody in a TP and acquire a draft pick. Because what we're at the point we're at now, that draft pick might be the difference between making a trade during the offseason that lands you 
a bigger piece, right? So there's always the reason to use a TP to acquire an asset rather than and an, like a draft asset rather than a player. Uh, depending on who the player is as well, right? I mean, what markets are available for who right now? That's a big question mark. If the right guy comes along and you can get him at a TPE and you think that he's going to be that difference maker or at least a floor raiser for your second unit, by all means, make that deal, right? It's not your money. It's Wick's yeah. money and Pag's money. And that's their problem. They're rich. Uh, if it was my money, I'd say no. If it's their <laughs> money, I'm okay with it. Well, yeah, I, again, it all depends on the player. Um, not the position, but the actual player. What did they bring to the team? How did they influence the locker room? What did they bring on the course? How do they fit with what the Celtics are trying to do? If you have positive answers to each of those questions, by all means, I think that, as you said, you should be doing that Gandalf and not letting the uh, the TP pass without at least getting something back. <laughs> the final question we've got, and uh, I don't know if our answer will differ on this one, Mr. Carmelo Anthony, New York Knicks legend, Denver Nuggets legend, one of the best pure shooters in the NBA history. One of my favorite players coming up. Um, it's a trend here, right? Carmelo Anthony, Jason Tatum, I like my shooters. Uh, well, scorers. If you're Stevens, put, would you still go after Melo? We hear rumors that the Celtics might still be interested. Melo's still on the market. Would you, if you, would you go for him? I would not. You know, I... I, I... I understand the the impulse, and and they have nosed around Melo. They actually nosed around him uh, in 2019 as well. The Celtics did uh, before he winds up going to Portland. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, I I just think with what they have right now, I want more Sam Hauser. That's what I want. You know, I mean, I I I, I think that that what Melo would do is fill the, the the Gallinari role, the role that he was going to play. That would then go to Melo. Uh, but right now, it's it's with Sam Hauser is shooting fifty five percent from the three point line. I I let's see what happens with Sam Hauser. You know, I mean, you the Celtics do not have not done a great job in taking uh, you know lesser pieces on the bench and really developing them into uh, uh, into productive role role players for themselves. Uh, and 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 Hauser is a perfect opportunity for them to do that. Uh, so I, 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 I love Carmelo Anthony too. Um, you know, he's, uh, uh, I think he gets a bad rap, uh, for, for the way his career is gone. I think he should definitely have a job right now. There's no way he's not among the best, you know, 420 players in the world. <laughs> he should be in the NBA right now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just, for the Celtics, I don't see the fit there. I'd rather see more, uh, you know, more Sam Hauser, frankly. So until the Celtics signed Griffin, there was no one I would have rather had on that team as a veteran than Carmelo Anthony, period. I felt that Carmelo was the right guy to bring in. I know they needed a big, but, you know, they could. it was the same when they, when they signed Justin Jackson. I was like, you should have gave that to Melo, right? Now, Sam House is proving that, hey, we don't need a veteran scorer. You've got a sophomore scorer. And you are right. He's definitely shown that he can score off the catch. He can score off the uh, dribble. He's attacking a little bit more. You see him trying to get downhill sometimes. He's doing what he's doing well on defense. Now, could Melo help kind of teach him some things? Possibly. But Melo wants to play. He doesn't want yeah. to come in and be a bench, a bench warmer, not a bench piece. He, he doesn't mind being a bench piece. We saw that in LA last season. He doesn't want to be a bench warmer. And I think that's where 
the problem is right now is the Celtics want to keep building on Hauser because he's the one that's going to end up having uh, positive equity for the team rather than someone like Melo that's always going to be negative equity because of his age and the fact that he's close to retirement. It just doesn't seem like the best fit. That's where Blake was different because he was happy to be a bench warmer. Um, yeah. I love Melo. I agree he should be in the league. I really wanted to see him in a Celtics uniform during the offseason. Now I'm kind of like, hey, that ship's kind of sailed, and I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty cool with not seeing Melo in Boston this year. So if we're if we're Brad Stevens, then uh, we are not signing Carmelo Anthony. Uh, we are not trading Danilo Gallinari, but we are using that TPE uh, if if the opportunity presents. Have I got that right? Yeah, and more importantly, we do not have a split personality because we both agreed on all three we things. Did. We did. How about that? <laughs> That's uh makes a terrible listening, but it makes our lives a hell of a lot easier. It does, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, before we go, is there anything else you want to hit on, or should we let everybody carry on with their day? Well, let's let's let let's let them uh, carry on with their day. Uh, you know, it's uh four and two. It's been uh, uh, a little bit up and down. I think there's definitely some areas of concern, but you know, four and two, I don't think you have anything to complain about uh, with that. No, it could be a lot worse. It could be the Los Angeles Lakers that are one and Good six. Lord. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> it could be way worse. You could be wearing purple and gold right now and listening to a Lakers podcast, and you'd be feeling really sad at the end yeah. of it. Yeah. Not this one. We're all happy. Everybody, if you've enjoyed the show, make sure to go and follow us on social media, Heavy Sports. You can hit that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, it's usually a follow option. Make sure to hit that. Leave those five-star reviews. We like reading those things about ourselves. It makes us feel special. And we'll be back next week with some more Celtics news for everybody. Till then, enjoy your week and stay safe. <laughs>